What's up, everybody? It's Michael Jenkins here with another episode of By the Book, a sports betting podcast. We're once again bringing you some of our favorite segments from the last few shows. First up, Megan McPeak and I spoke with Kyle Dvorak from NBC Sports Edge about just how many games the Tampa Bay Buccaneers might win this season. So we know the NFL schedules have been released for each and every team in the league, along with win totals in Vegas. So what we're going to do is, over the next few weeks, we're going to choose one team, look at the total, decide if we want to go over or under based on each team's schedule. And you know we're going to start with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh, Tommy, trying to get it done one more time. The total is set at 11 and a half. We're in agreement, right? We're going over. Yes. Okay, so we'll look at some of the key games on the schedule and then decide, do they win that game? Do they lose that game? And based on that, that sort of justifies our opinion here. To do that, we bring in Kyle Dvorak from NBC Sports Edge. Find him on Twitter at KyleTweets here. So, Kyle, first of all, do you like the over or under? Before we sort of get to some of these key games for the Bucs, would you put money on the over or under with the total set 11 and a hook for Tampa? Yeah, I, I hate betting overs. Like typically yeah. when you look at if you just total up all of the all of the lines, you'd realize there are a handful of more wins than there should be given how many games are played. And I just can't not bet the over on the Bucks. I mean, they're running it back with literally every starter yeah. and then some of their depth guys and then a full draft. They didn't have to like sell out these this year's picks in previous years to get the guys that they have. So I think like when you look at I think the, the Chiefs are like 12 with more juice to the over. If we're betting high totals, like the Bucks to me are the high totals you bet the over on. So let's start with by, and, and I'm with you on that. I'm not a big, generally when you bet overs in the NFL, at least I feel like you always end up being disappointed because they seem to be a touch inflated. And who wants to bet on a team to lose? You want to see a team win. It's like betting on an under in any sport. It's, it's much easier intrinsically to say, no, I want to see points. I want to see a team win. I don't want to bet for you know, field goals missed or a team to lose, unless it's maybe the Jets or something like that. So let's look at week one in the NFL for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Of course, they open the season against the Dallas Cowboys. They're at home laying six and a half points. Do you like Tampa in this game? Yeah, to me, Tampa is like, it's going to be hard to not bet Tampa. You know, it's like I said, I don't want to bet uh, overs and I still find myself betting them. So I'm just going to keep betting them until I'm proven wrong. I think six and a half, I think, as, as the reigning the reigning champions, not only the reigning champions, but just brought back all of the talent. And frankly, when you get Tom Brady moving into an offense that really is, he hasn't played in an offense that's this aggressive, exciting, full of weapons in I don't, like six, seven years. It's been so long that I think the offseason might actually kind of make a difference for him. I would say for some teams, you know, we can say every team didn't get an offseason. I think they could actually be a team that benefits more from having somewhat of a traditional offseason. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to take them in week one and I'll probably just keep betting them like most of the season. They're just a top two team with kind of a tier gap between them and everyone else. OK, so, Kyle, with that being said, do you also like them week two against Atlanta or do you think week three versus the Rams might be more of a test for Tampa Bay? Yeah, I mean, I think Atlanta is going to be a fun team because they they're please don't trade Julio, by the way, Atlanta. Yeah, <laughs> don't do it. I, I want to see this team with Kyle Pitts, Calvin Ridley, Julio and, and Matt Ryan at the final years of still his peak. So assuming, you know, right now they still have him. I think that'll be a fun game. But truly, this uh, this Atlanta defense is really just not going to put up any resistance. The Rams, I think, might be a, a public team early in the season. We'll have to see how their first two weeks shake out. But uh, Atlanta, I'm excited for. The Rams, I actually think I'm kind of uh, maybe a little less excited than the public. They're going to be a good team. But, you know, I'm not sure 
I'm not, you know, I don't want to say Matt Matt Stafford isn't an upgrade over Jared Goff. I just think people are are going crazy to see Matthew Stafford plus, you know, this great offensive mind, you know, and, and I don't know if I'm exactly quite as excited. So it does seem like maybe I'd be a little hesitant to, to bet them against Atlantic. I think they're going to be a good offense, but versus versus the Rams, I'm, you know, they're a good defense, but Tom Brady's faced many good defenses in his day. And I'm a little under underweight on their offense so that's probably a spot for me where i think i'm i'm kind of going to be against the public if i'm betting them we're talking with kyle dvorak from nbc sports edge great to hear from him and get his expert opinion here because you know i'm just a guy here kyle so we talk about the marquee game and this is the one that as soon as the nfl schedules came out everyone said oh that's the one and you know i'm talking about patriots and buccaneers at foxborough week four i i think this is going to be fascinating you know if you sort of delve into the weeds a little bit just from the fact that for the first time ever Bill Belichick is going to be scouting Tom Brady and conversely Tom Brady is going to be scouting a Bill Belichick defense I know we focus on the macro and I totally get that but but what do you think happens here I mean I I know the Patriots made like a lot of financial and and quantitative investments in the sense that they bought a lot of of guys in free agency and they spent a lot on them but I still think they're probably one of the worst cast of weapons in the league. And they're either playing with Cam Newton, who's past his prime. I love Cam Newton as a player and a personality. Doesn't seem like he's really the, the long-term answer. And Mac Jones was a good quarterback prospect, but not a guy who I think makes a big impact as a rookie. So they're an offense that, like, if you have, you know, your number one receiver is Nelson Aguilar, not to discredit what he did last season with his bounce back, but, like, how are, are Cam Newton or Mac Jones and Kendrick Bourne plus plus Nelson Aguilar going to compete with like Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, uh, Antonio Brown? Technically, hasn't signed yet because he has to pass physical, but assuming he is with the team, like the best receiver of the 2010s, and then add them with Tom Brady. I think their defense is going to be great. I think they may have like a chance to to finally knock off the Bills after last year being really the first disappointing season in, in like my lifetime knowing the Patriots. But versus the best team, or I guess second best, if you want to call the Chiefs the best team, I just don't think they have the firepower. They're like six teams that have the firepower to compete with Tom Brady and the best cast of weapons I don't, maybe he's ever played with. All right, Kyle. So that being said, do you see the Bucks losing before their bye week? So in theory, yes, it's hard to go that long into your season without that, without losing a game. Some team will probably upset them, but would I bet even bet spreads, not just money lines, would I bet spreads against them? Probably not, except maybe Atlanta. I do think Atlanta is, might be a fun enough offense to keep it close. But uh, I, I mean, if I had to pick every single game, I, I'd pick eight straight bucks games. I, I just can't see, you know, maybe the Saints, like they, they unlock something that Jameis Winston hadn't shown before, which would be not giving the other team the ball. Justin Fields with the Bears could be a spot where I think Justin Fields was like the 1B best quarterback prospect. So maybe he comes out with this monstrous rookie season. But as it stands right now, like I would be betting probably probably their spreads and definitely their money lines all the way until that buy. So when you look at the second half of the season, I mean, we can go week by week. What are some of the games where you feel like, okay, this is this is a spot where maybe it doesn't set up well, you know, it's back-to-back -back road games, or, you know, they're coming off a tough battle one week where you see, I mean, the Buccaneers, I don't think they're going to win out, even though you look at their schedule and yeah. think, oh, maybe they could, but they probably are going to drop at least a few games. So what's a couple of spots or where are a couple of spots in the second half of the season where you think, okay, they could drop a game or two? Uh, first one where I like 
am really interested to see how they, they play this team, which is be Washington. Washington had an incredible defense last year, and I think they have pieces on offense. I don't think they're this wildly, you know, talented offense, but they've been slowly improving their offense every year, and their quarterback play, it just wasn't going to cut it last year. And Ryan Fitzpatrick isn't a stud quarterback, but he will be a, a market upgrade over what they got last year from their tandem, you know, Alex Smith, Dwayne Haskins, Kyle, Kyle Allen, all these guys. So I, I think we'll probably know what we have with Washington by the time that game rolls around. It won't be a surprise, but I'm kind of interested in them. And then the Bills. The Bills are like a legitimate one of the, I'd say, six teams that really should be the, these, you know, technically favorites, but should be well in a tier of their own to win the Super Bowl, or at least to make it to win the AFC for the Bills and the NFC for the Bucks. That should be a really exciting game. I think the Bills are a top six team and the, the Bucks are a top two team for me. So I think that's the best matchup of the Bucks entire season. Okay, so Kyle, do you feel that the Bucks have potentially the easiest schedule of all teams in the NFL this season? If they don't have the easiest schedule, it's got to be so close. I know, like, if you look yeah. at, uh, at strength of schedule just based on opponent win totals, they're top five, uh, top five easiest. And I do love the way that at the end, their schedule, their final three games, I believe it's Carolina, Jets, Carolina. I don't want to discredit, you know, Zach Wilson or, or Sam Darnold, but I guess I have to in that I'm saying that's like got to be the best possible way to close out your year. Like if they're sitting at 14 wins or whatever going into that stretch and they're playing their backups, they could still win. Those are not that good of teams. So especially if you like look at the differential between how good a team is and how bad or how, how easy their opponents are, the Bucks are probably the biggest differential of really good team first bottom five schedule. We're talking with Kyle Dvorak from NBC Sports Edge. Do you think, and this is just complete conjecture on your part, but I think there is something to it. The NFL knows what it's doing, right? I mean, Tom Brady making another run at a Super Bowl would be the story once again, one final run, and it may not even be a final run, but the NFL loves storylines like this. So do you think it's any coincidence that when you look at schedules, because I was looking at this and I thought the same thing, this isn't the most difficult schedule I've seen. It seems like the NFL would love for the Bucks to make a serious run here. Yeah, I mean, uh, like, technically, no, it can't be, because I think every every single aspect of the schedule is pre-planned out. You get the rotation of oh, the right, divisions yeah. that you face and stuff. But I do think the NFL was probably at least when they like, you know, they fired up their program to see who the Bucks were going to play. They're like, yes, this is good for ratings. <laughs> this is good for ratings. So looking at the NFC, is it the Bucks to lose? Yeah, I mean, I think, oh man, if Rodgers doesn't end up starting Week One for the Packers, it would be it would be so by far and away the Bucks to lose. It wouldn't just be the Bucks to lose; it'd be the Bucks and teams, you know, tears below them, the Bucks and everyone else. I do think if Rodgers stays, though. We saw how he played last year. I'm not sure if he keeps it up. It was kind of a, a lull of three or four years where he was. I don't want to say he was in a funk. He just wasn't at the peak of his powers. He looked back and maybe better than ever last year. And if he comes back, I will always say that Aaron Rodgers we saw last year has more than a fighting chance. It's a very competitive team against the Bucs. It'd probably be those two teams and then some exciting sleeper teams. Like, I think Dallas could be a really exciting offense, but I don't know if they have the defense to do it. I think, like I said, the Rams might be a little overhyped. Not, man, I love Kyler Murray, but I think they need to, they need to work on their receiving. Like, they have just this boring bland offense with such exciting players so yeah i think it's the bucks and then rogers and the packers assuming rogers is is end up you know being with the packers 
When you look at futures, and I know the Chiefs remain the favorite, followed by the Bucks, but Vegas continues to see a lot of money coming in on Tampa Bay. All of a sudden, because they have Tom Brady, they're a public team all of a sudden, right? People love Tom Brady, and they, they want to watch him play. They want to watch him win. Is there value on the Bucks to, to win and repeat as Super Bowl champions, or do you like the Chiefs or someone else where you can get more value? Yeah, I think both of the, the top two teams are, are probably just not – the the value you're looking for you probably want to find some sort of long shot i think you are looking in the division to win the division atlanta i think is probably like like i, I can't be the guy betting the saints after they lose Drew breeze i've already said how i feel about carolina so i think if you want to look in the division at least i'd probably say the falcons you have but up plus 800 i think if you're not betting the bucks you have to be betting the falcons just they come out with this monstrous offense of probably one of the best tandems of two receivers and maybe you know the best at least tight end prospect ever honestly plus matt ryan still still playing some of his best football so if i had to pick you know someone in the nfc south futures probably would be atlanta for me you know the bucks just most of the value seems to be taken out of them not that they're not a great team obviously so do you feel i know we just had the numbers up do you feel that those numbers are pretty accurate when you look at the NF nfc south and and just what you said you feel that that's the numbers are sitting where they should be. Vegas isn't completely wrong on these ones. No, there's nothing screaming out to me. I, I do think uh, there's, there's a bit of optimism around the Saints that I, I struggle to find just because, uh, you know, this, it's so funny. We don't have like analogies for this in the NFL that in college, you know, it's like a, a quarterback by committee is no quarterback. All three quarterbacks is no quarterbacks. Somehow I have to actually apply that to an NFL team in the New Orleans Saints that they're going to try maybe try and run this quarterback by committee. I just think it's a team that, you know, you had your run, but it's probably not going to happen for you. I think they should probably still be second in the division, but I'd, I'd put them much closer to the, the Atlanta number. And yeah, the, the, the final number there, Carolina, I'm not, uh, I just, I haven't seen anything from Sam Darnold that I could ever get excited about. He is Kyle Dvorak from NBC Sports Edge. Follow him on Twitter at KyleTweets here, which is a great handle, by the way. I have to say, I saw that and I thought, uh, well done, sir. Well done. Kyle, thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me on, guys. Then NBC Sports Edge's Thor Nystrom talked with Monica McNutt and me about the Kansas City Chiefs prospects and whether or not they can make it back to the Super Bowl. We're going to bring in Thor Nystrom because we've been talking about NFL win totals and, and which teams and whether they're going to go over or under. So we focused on the Bucks yesterday. Now we're focusing on the Kansas City Chiefs with a total set at 12. So, Thor, I think both of us like the over here. Is that where you're leaning when you look at their schedule? It is, yeah. Yeah, going through the schedule individually, I have them finishing 13 and 4, which is fairly close. But one of the losses I ended up giving them was, was the final game of the season against the Broncos under the idea that they'll be resting starters. I, I think this is a pretty navigatable schedule for the Chiefs and of course people got to got to keep in mind that this year we got 17 games as opposed to 16 so when you're thinking about the over under you want to consider that too. Thor so you and I are on the same page although I will admit that you got to go down the rabbit hole a bit with yep. me. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to return to Green Bay if he's in Denver I had the Chiefs losing one of those games and ultimately I settled on the final game like you did for the same reasons uh, but I think that could be a really interesting matchup I also had the same record as you 13 and 4. Exactly. Yeah, you know, that one, and, and you know, just going to the Rodgers point, uh, the Chiefs already play Green Bay this season. And so if, you know, like under, you know, let's say that Denver ended up trading for Rodgers, I wouldn't change my Chiefs prediction either way. I'm already giving the Chiefs one loss, you know, in, in their game against the Broncos. And then, like I said, if, if the, you know, if he leaves the Packers, of course, then they don't have to play him when he's with the Packers. So it would just be one more game that the Chiefs would have to play Rodgers. I think 12 is a, a pretty solid number if you're, if you're looking to go over either way. Thor, before we get to the schedule, and I want to make sure that we take a look at it, 
Is there is there a draft pick or two that you think can help the Chiefs immediately? Because I know you're a big fan of their draft. Yeah, I was. Yeah, Creed Humphrey, they stole him in mm-hmm. in the second round. And I think between him and Austin Blythe, you're going to have a guy that fixes the center position. And then they they went about, you know, fixing left tackle with Orlando Brown, which is a trade that involved the, their first-round pick. They got a second-round pick back, which is how they ended up being able to steal Creed Humphrey. Nick Bolton coming into a linebacking core, which is one of the very few other spots on the roster the Chiefs have uh, question marks at. It would be nice if, if Nick Bolton could step up immediately as well. But from, from the draft class, even though they didn't have a ton of capital because they traded that first round pick to get Orlando Brown solved the left tackle thing I thought they had a really good draft process oh process being the key word uh, overall yeah. that's yep. an organization that you trust in terms of the process as well we all know that Patty Mahomes had an opportunity to sit and cool it and take it all in <laughs> before he hit the field okay but we want to get back to this 13 and 4 my 13 and 4 looks a little different from your 13 and 4 but let's check out the first half um, of that schedule, where do you think they'll take a couple of lumps, Thor? Yeah, I think the 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 first logical game to look at for for a loss is in that week two when they have to travel to Baltimore on that Sunday night football game. Uh, the Chiefs had a lot of success against Baltimore uh, last season, which I think is going to put even more emphasis on this game for the Ravens. This is going to be sort of an early season statement game for them. That That's a tough proposition, uh, tra- traveling out to Baltimore for a primetime game like that. I, I think if I was going to circle one game early in the season that I, I think could be trouble for the Chiefs, it would be that one. All right, so I had the same one. And I was going to ask you, is that more about the Chiefs or more about the Ravens? But it sounds like we agree that that's more about the Ravens showing, Lamar Jackson and company showing that they can close that gap and prepare and prepare to show up as real contenders. I think so. Yeah, I, I think you're going to see another leap from the Ravens this year. You know, just like the Chiefs, they went about um, trying to fix some of their deficiencies on their, their roster this offseason, um, wide receiver being a big one. And I think Rashad Bateman is going to provide them an immediate jolt and be a big help uh, for Lamar Jackson. I think you're going to see that early in the season, too. So, Jinx and I, mm-hmm. we, the next game that we have as a little trick up, trick spot that you did not have, Thor, was Hosting. I believe they host the Bills. They do. Um, And that is in week five. I think that this Bills squad is the the real deal, and I actually liked their odds in terms of being Super Bowl contenders. You don't see that one going down, Thor. Talk to us. Yeah, and for sure I like the Bills a lot. So we're on the same page with that. Just in terms of matchups, I I think Tennessee is a team. You know, it's like when you watch UFC, they always say styles make fights. And a a team that gives the Chiefs a lot of trouble is a team that's going to be able to control the clock with their running game. The issue with the Bills for me is they didn't address that running back thing in the offseason. And so you're basically counting on either Zach Moss or Motor Singletary or both of them Mm, to sort of leap their games up. I, I think without that, you're not able to target that that weak Chiefs front seven. If, if there's a spot on their defense you want to attack, it's it, it's their front seven. Because of that, I, I think that there's teams that give them a harder are going to give them a harder time matchup wise. Baltimore being a great example, Tennessee in week week seven, I think is another example. Buffalo for sure could. It, it's just that you know it's, it's going to have to be Josh Allen essentially controlling the clock and being the running game for Buffalo in that game. I think. Mm, tall task. Yeah, we're talking with Thor Nystrom, lead college football and NFL draft analyst for NBC Sports Edge. Also on Twitter at ThorKU. Thor, are you satisfied with, before we look at the second half of the season and maybe some hiccups for the Chiefs, are you satisfied with how they address the offensive line issue? 
for sure. Yeah. yeah you you yeah. talk about a really well-run organization, but yeah, the left tackle, like I said, was Orlando Brown. They got Kyle uh, Long to come out of retirement. They signed Blythe. They got uh, Creed Humphrey, you know, in, in the draft. And then at right tackle, um, they, Remmers is coming back. Mm, but then people yeah. got to remember, too, that they're getting the, the COVID opt-out guys. Uh, yes. Duvern, Lawrence mm-hmm. Duvernay, yeah, him and uh, uh, Lucas Niang are both coming back as well. So whereas last year, like one or two injuries, just the whole thing crumpled the Chiefs offensive line. This year, I think they legitimately go eight deep with starting caliber NFL offensive linemen. Lawrence Duvernay-Tardif, of course, you heard all the wonderful things about him in terms of serving through the pandemic, but he also is a very good football player. Uh, That's a hell of a skill set. I'll help in a pandemic, and then I'll go back and play in the NFL. Versatility at its finest. All right, so I think you and I are on the same page with this next potential loss number three of the four, the Tennessee Titans. Talk to us. Yeah, it, it goes back to the thing of what I talk about, where if if I want to, like, if, if, if I'm going into a game against the Chiefs, what I want to do is control the clock. And again, it, it's it's focusing on one of the Chiefs' big weaknesses, which is in that front seven. The Titans are so well-equipped to do this with Derrick Henry. So, so it's not only that you're you're sort of taking advantage of the, the Chiefs' defensive weakness, but it's also that you're keeping the ball out of Pat Mahomes' hands. I, I think going forward, you know, next several seasons here, that's going to be the key to beating the Chiefs. Last season, you know, the reason that they ended up losing and, and, and the market hasn't even really, uh, you know, the, the Super Bowl, the, the, the market hasn't given it any more thought outside of saying it's sort of a one game anomaly because of the, you know, the cratered offensive line because of the injuries or whatever. And that's not going to be as big of an issue uh, going forward. That was sort of anomalous. But what's not anomalous until they fix that front seven is they will be susceptible to teams that have power running uh, games. Tennessee and Baltimore fit that uh, to a T. And so that's why I think they could have trouble in that game. Thor, when you look at the second half of the season, what games stand out as a possible loss or two for the Chiefs? The second half of the, the schedule looks even more navigatable, I, I guess, you know, when I was looking over it than, than the first half. One potential problem spot, um, I, I think trap spot for the Chiefs, would be in week 15 on the road against the Los Angeles Chargers. That's a game where it's going to be a Thursday night game. So it's like, you know, you have the three or four uh, day turnaround and then you have to travel out to the West Coast and then you're facing a team that beat you last year, you know, and whatever. Um, That's going to be a really tough one for the Chiefs, just as, you know, this is going to be a historically long season, the first 17 gamer that we've done week 15, the end of the season. By that point, the Chiefs might have a game or two lead, three game lead in, in the division. And now you're going out to LA who conceivably at that time is going to be clawing for a playoff spot Justin Herbert is his game's going to go forward again this year so if I'm looking for a trap game in the second half of the season for the Chiefs I think it's that one I like what you did there that's, yeah. a, that's a great point that Thursday night game it ruins your fantasy lineup too <laughs> <laughs> dang it it's Thursday I forgot oh my god um okay so there was one more we started off talking about a little bit but this one is really just as simple as you expect the Chiefs to have a comfortable comfortable position in the standings and can show by the time they are at is that at Denver in the, in the final week? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's our first week eight, eighteen game. You know, our week eight, eighteen of the schedule or whatever. But yeah, they're going to Denver, and you know, I figure both in terms of resting the starters, but also sort of baking in the idea that Aaron Rodgers could get traded to Denver afterwards. So it was sort of convenient that I could you know have the Chiefs splitting with Denver, mm-hmm. um, and and so for those reasons, that's why I did it. But I. You know, once we get to the week 18 in the schedule, the Chiefs very well may have, you know, a three, four game lead in the division. And so they, you know, it's going to be the Chad Henney show and the Daryl Williams show and stuff like that. And I would expect to see a lot of their young (laughs) kids as well.
Okay, so I have okay, this so I question have... that was just prompted by all of us agreeing that we expect the Chiefs to have this great lead. How long does this Chiefs dominance last in your mind, or how long, or is it about the rest of the NFL catching up? I mean, technically, they obviously lost the Super Bowl last year. I think it's until the day Pat Mahomes retires, right? I mean, th this team, I mean, like, you, you look at it, it's like, you know, Andy Reid, Mahomes, uh, Kelsey, Tyreek Hill. You know, outside of that, like, you know, you try to come up with the stars on, on their team. This whole thing is driven by Pat Mahomes, and he plays up everyone's game, obviously, and, and stuff like that. And as long as his offensive line is even passable, um, they're going to be really dangerous on offense going forward. And, and the way they've constructed their defense, I think, is really smart. I, I talked about the, the front seven deficiencies. Well, you don't have the, the cap room and the draft capital to fill every single need. You're going to have some weakness on the roster. And the Chiefs have devoted a lot of their resources into the defensive backfield. The, you know, Tyron Matthew being, you know, be, being one example of this. They, they also did an awesome job in getting LeJarrius Sneed, you know, picking him off in day three of the draft last year. They've taken a lot of flyers on, you know, on, on, on kids who were like first round busts elsewhere, uh, Mike Hughes and DeAndre Bacon. We'll see what, what happens there, but they don't need to count on them as much. But th this is a kind of defense that is perfectly catered to defend the teams when they're throwing against them, you know, like because the Chiefs are always going to be ahead. You, you want your strength to be in the defensive backfield because then you can start to play more aggressive and everything like that. Your linebackers like Willie Gay is a really good coverage linebacker. So, so I think it also caters to, to what they do, the, the way that they're building the roster. Mm. Thor, is there any reason to think this team doesn't get back to the Super Bowl? Do you well, see any I sort of stumbling? I hate that we're doing this all right. I just want to compete, but go ahead. I know, but is, I mean, can the I mean, we think oh, maybe the Bills take a step up. And Josh Allen, I actually like his value as MVP because you can get it to 12, 13 to 1. I think he could take a step up and be that guy. But is there any reason to think the Chiefs don't get back? It just feels like they've done all the right moves during the offseason. Yeah, I, I think it would just be barring injury. L last year, there the, this you know one of the susceptible spots is the offensive line. To me, that is no longer. I, I think they could even suffer two injuries on the offensive line and still keep cooking. But now it's if Mahomes gets injured, obviously the season would be over. They're not very deep at receiver either, and so you know outside of Hill and Kelsey, the the weapons aren't there as much. You know, a lot of usage is going towards those guys. The efficiency and explosion that you're extracting out of those guys. The, the Chiefs need McCall Hardman to take a developmental step forward and then, you know, see if they can unearth some of those other receivers. But I just don't love the depth there. Cornell Powell, the kid that they drafted this year, I, I don't think much of him, to be honest. And so it's basically going to come down to keeping that offensive trio healthy. I, I think if, if, you know, as long as they are, this is an absolute Super Bowl contender until the very end. All right. Well, really quickly, Thor, before we let you go, who's the closest in the AFC to, to catching them? Well, it would be it would be the Broncos if they trade for Aaron Rodgers. Um, you know, outside of that, for me, the, the Chiefs are the front runner. You know, the, they're the team who has obviously the most explosive offense. And if you guys look through the card, the, the Chiefs have the most games in the NFL that, that came out with the early lines of over-unders over 50. Um, they also had the highest one on the board. The, the, the game against the Cowboys, I think, was like 57 or you know something like that. Um, and, and so for, for me, that is the class of, of the AFC. Some of these other teams are coming up, like, you know, the Dolphins are, are, are starting to poke their heads up and like stuff like that. But I just don't see other any other team that at full strength right now that will be able to compete with the Chiefs like that. He is Thor Nystrom, lead college football and NFL draft analyst for NBC Sports Edge. Give him a follow on Twitter at ThorKU. Thor, we always appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Thor. Thanks, Thor. guys. Up next, Jason Logan from Covers.com joined the show to talk about the end of the play-ins and the first round of the NBA playoffs.
Okay, let's talk NBA with Jason Logan. You know him as the senior industry analyst and managing editor for Covers.com. Also on Twitter at CoversJLo. Jason, it's, it, it's one thing for the Wizards to win last night, but it's quite another for them to dominate in the way that they did. How surprised were you to see that performance from the Wiz? I had Indiana and the points in that game. I had the over last night as well, too, and uh, I believe that Washington had kind of peaked heading in. They didn't look great in that Boston game, looked a little listless. Uh, was really impressed with Indiana against Charlotte, especially with with Brogdon coming back, who's really the the core of that team. But, I mean, if you're going to let your opponent do layups for the entire game and shoot 58%, you got to hit some shots. And Indiana couldn't hit water if they fell out of a boat in that game. So, uh, I, luckily, I had the over to kind of keep me locked to it. Uh, the pace of the game was what we expected. They went back and forth. Uh, I was surprised the total came out as low as it did at 240 for that game. And then I was even more surprised that it started trending under uh, with money coming in on the under. But, uh, of course, the, these guys, they own the highest over-under of the season at 250 points from that game back in May. They needed overtime to get over that one, but they had blown the, the over away in their previous two outings. So I felt pretty confident going into it that, that they were going to score a lot of points. I just didn't expect Washington to score that many of them. I looked at I looked the at shot chart, Jason, uh, and it's like it's so much green right around the rim <laughs> and the paint. Like, I tell you what, there was not a better matchup for the Wizards in terms of a team that they are confident against. And, like, Russ yeah. is like, what, what y'all guards going to do with me? Like, move out the way. Just get out the way. <laughs> yeah, ever since Turner went down for, for the, the Sixers, they had zero rim protection. And you saw in the second half of the season just how many points in the paint and just the percentage that teams were shooting within five feet of the basket. And, you know, it was tailor-made specifically for Washington, which is the team they just attacked the rim. And it looked like a layup drill out there. They might as well throw on some warm-up music and, uh, you know, put, put the sweats on and uh, did a couple of layup drills. <laughs> well, now the Wizards are taking on the Sixers. Philly is laying seven and a half points in game one on Sunday. We've already seen Russ talking a little smack about Joel Embiid, saying they're not good. But is there any chance that Washington, you know, pulls some sort of monumental series upset here? Yeah. Yeah, this one, and they don't get much of a break here before playing in Philadelphia. And I'm seeing that the series price says no. The series price, I'm seeing Sixers around minus 1250. Wizards coming back about plus 730 right now. Uh, can they score at the rim versus the Sixers? And then can they speed up Philadelphia and cause some mistakes? And that's that's how they're going to beat this team. If you look at Philly, they're ranked among the top defensive teams in the league. They only give up 46 uh, points in the paint per game. They sit ninth at rebound rate only giving up 11.6 second half or second chance points per game. So those things aren't going to be there for the Wizards. Uh, but what Washington can do and what they had had success against the Sixers was speeding them up and causing mistakes. They forced almost 18 turnovers in their three matchups with Philadelphia this season, and they translated those into almost 20 points off turnovers per game. So in order for them to stay in this, they, they've got to push the tempo. They can't let Philadelphia you know, slow this down, play a half court set and abuse them with the size. They got to, they got to keep them on the run and, and hopefully they have something left in the tank after a crazy run to end the season. And then these, these extra play in games here too. I'm so glad you mentioned that Jason. I was looking at some of those numbers. I was also struck by, they still got swept during the regular season and that <laughs> middle game, that 141, 136 game. That was when Bradley Beal had his 60 yeah. piece and it's still wasn't enough. So uh, we'll see if this Sixers team can maintain that same energy as we enter into the postseason. We're talking with Jason Logan, senior industry analyst and managing editor for Covers.com. Follow him on Twitter at CoversJLo. So 
Let's talk about the Western Conference now. We like the Lakers. We're worried about the Lakers. We love the Lakers. Oh, we're skittish about the Lakers. <laughs> now we're on the Lakers again. Favored to win this series against the Suns, even though they're the dog in game one. Are you buying Lakers stock now that LeBron and AD seem like they're ready to go? Ready to go? Ready to go? Yeah, this one, this one's tough because I am a Lakers fan, and I, you guys were debating whether these play-in games are playoff games. Well, that game last night or the, the couple nights ago felt like a playoff game. So if it if it sounds like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's a duck. It's a playoff game. Uh, yeah, this this one's crazy. The series price uh, we saw the Lakers actually open as big as minus three hundred, and if you go back into the the, the sports odds histories, uh, they go back to nineteen eighty eight. They've never seen a seven seed actually favored to win the series over the two seed. And the series price has swung significantly here. L.A. is down to minus 180, and Phoenix dropped from 240 to plus 140. Um, you know, the, that game against Golden State is a bit deceiving. As good as Golden State is defensively, the Lakers' stars just sucked in that first half. They were just ice cold. They were missing wide-open shots. I think had they had started a little, you know, normally and not, not just missed these open buckets, uh, they wouldn't have had to fight back so much, and it would have been a kind of a different narrative heading into this one. But you see how dominant this team is when you have LeBron and Davis and Schroeder, who's fantastic and, and is doing exactly what they wanted him to do when they picked him up in the offseason. Um, but the Lakers need the supporting cast, especially in the backcourt, to continue to hit shots. Phoenix is going to take and make three-pointers, but they've got DeAndre Ayton hurt and Cameron Johnson. They're dinged up heading into game one. They're not quite certain whether they're going to play. Uh, that's going to allow Davis and LeBron to beat them up inside. I don't have anything on this game right yet. I don't have a bet on it. Uh, I'm a Lakers fan. I'm concerned with the team going, here's, here's the trend for you. Three and 13 against the spread in their last 16 playoff games as an underdog. So, uh, and we have seen the Lakers kind of lay some game one duds with this crew. We saw it last year in the bubble. So uh, I'm not in there yet, but uh, fingers crossed for the Lakers. Yeah, the game one thing is very interesting. I think there were moments even against the Warriors where you saw them working through some rust. Yep. All right, teams that sh maybe there's a little rust because what have they played now together? Eight games together? Yep. The Nets, big three, and then, of course, the Celtics squad that took care of the Wizards in that play-in opportunity. Any chance for the Celtics in this one? Yeah, Jason Tatum needs 50 to beat Washington. He's going to have to score 70 a game here to get past Brooklyn or or more. And people people poo-poo not having Durant and Harden playing together, and they only played eight games, but we forget. These guys played in Oklahoma City together, and they're they're, they're basketball players. These guys are gym rats, and they, they they play pickup. They grew up their lives playing pickup. I think they can play with anyone. They're going to make anyone else look great. Harden is basically the facilitator when he's out there on the floor, too. Uh, the loss of Brown, I think, is going to be really, really felt in this one for the Celtics on both ends of the floor. And Boston does have capable scorers. We saw what Tatum can do. Kemba Walker can put up points. Marcus Smart can score points. Fournier's been fantastic in May. I've been betting on over Fournier uh, props all, all May and April, and he's been fantastic. But can they be that good? And they have to be at their best for five, six, seven games if they're going to be Brooklyn here. Um, you know, very sound on the inside. They protect the paint. They're great on the, on the boards. And that was fantastic against Washington, but Brooklyn has the shooters and the players to stretch this defense. And then this is the Kyrie Irving revenge tour too. So you can't poo poo that. I, I think Brooklyn wins this one in five. Um, Celtics might show some, some fight here. Eight points is a lot, but I, I think Brooklyn takes the series pretty easily. Few games here. Yeah. You got the heat and the bucks and you know, the Heat are a team that a lot of people <laughs> sort of believe might give Milwaukee a run here. Heat culture. We, we, they, they did it last year. Uh, the big boost for the Heat here down the stretch and something that they're going to need against this Milwaukee offense 
is just improved perimeter play from the guards. They closed the final 16 contests. They connected on 39.6% of their, their looks from long range. They averaged over 43 points per game from behind the three-point line, and that's going to be big. They need Duncan Robinson. They need Tyler Hero. They need Kendrick Nunn to come in, take, and make these shots if they're going to keep pace and, and send Milwaukee on vacation. Uh, and then, But they also have this great defensive duo of Jimmy Butler and Bam out of bio who can kind of inconvenience, I'll say inconvenience Giannis because he's very hard to slow down and he's impossible to stop, but he struggled against this Miami team already. He averages, uh, he's averaging just 16.7 points and less than 48% shooting in the three meetings with Miami. Uh, most recently he went six for 12, 15 points in just under 34 minutes of work. Um, and Butler wasn't in those games. And now they're going to have this two-headed monster that's very versatile and they can throw these fresh bodies at him. And Eric Spolster is probably one of the better defensive coaches in the NBA. He's going to throw the kitchen sink at Milwaukee here. You're going to see man-to-man. You're going to see zone. You're going to see everything in between because he can't allow this Bucks offense to get comfortable. And you can't allow Giannis to get comfortable because we've seen him get comfortable against teams and just blow them up. Uh, I took the heat and the points in game one. Uh, this one looks like it's going to be a slog of a series, six, seven games. Let's go back out west. Clippers, Mavs. I think the Clippers just maybe haven't gotten the credit that they deserve when you look at how this team has played this year statistically for whatever reason. Maybe everybody can't let go of last year. Yeah. Yeah, especially when you see them matching up against Dallas again. It's it's strange. Uh, Clippers minus five is where the line's at for most places, and I think that's about right. It feels pretty spot on there, and it's not. it hasn't moved much since opening. Um, it's really difficult to get a grip on this team because of – one, they tank to land in the four spot and then, you know, avoid Portland and, and the Lakers on the other side of the bracket. But then, two, they had so many guys coming in and, and out of the lineup, and key guys, Leonard and Patrick Beverly and Serge Ibaka. So it's really hard to figure out where this team is at in terms of current form. They were five and six straight up in their final 11 games. They went just three and eight ATS in that. And then they play a Dallas team that was playing well towards the end of the season, beat some pretty crappy teams, but still have the momentum, I guess, edge coming into this. But we know this Clippers team can defend, and we know they can defend one-on-one. And that means a long night for Luka every single night. You got Patrick Beverly, and you got Leonard, and you got Paul George. And they're either going to throw, like, Ibaka and Marcus Morris out there on them just to get those hard six fouls out of those guys. It wouldn't surprise me if if both of those guys foul out multiple times during this. Um, You know, if you're going to foul the guy, foul him hard. And I think that's what they're going to do. It's what they did last year is try to beat up on Donich and, and rattle him. And then, you know, everyone remembers the playoff P performance and how bad he was in that series. But he did, Paul George is really the backbone of this offense in the second half of the season this year. And then let's not forget how strong uh, Kawhi Leonard can be in the postseason. I mean, the guy kind of slept walked through the season this year, but he is absolutely dominant when the playoff switch turns on. He averaged almost 33 points per game in the six game series with Dallas last year. In the last three postseasons for Kawhi, he's averaged 28.2, 30.5, and 27.7 points per game. Uh, so I, I actually, I laid the points with LA in game one, minus five. Uh, and I think they come into this knowing how much trouble Dallas gave them last year. So a little bit of fear maybe behind that. And so I, I, I'm comfortable laying the five points. We could talk um, details with you for the end of time, but that's not how TV works. So on these next two, you are on the clock. I will give you a shot clock sound when your time is up. <laughs> Make it quick, my friend. Blazers Nuggets, quickly. You got quickly. two to get through. 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 Okay, well, it's it's the, the X factor is Portland's backcourt versus Denver's lack of a backcourt. I think we called them rusty lawn chairs last time I was on the show. 
Uh, and Jokic is going to have to have a massive series for these guys. It's it's a weak Blazers interior. I think he's going to have huge games, but he's had this team on his shoulder for the past two months. How much more can this guy take? Michael Porter Jr. has to have a huge series in order for Denver to come through. But this is a guy that goes MIA a lot of the time. All the talent in the world, but he doesn't show up every night. Uh, and I'm not going to poo-poo home court, especially in Denver. You got to climb the mountains. So you got Portland, who's going from coastal to the elevation in thin air in Denver. Uh, and I'm not sure how many fans are coming back in Denver at this point, but home court advantage has been a weird thing to, to kind of calculate into bets this year because we've seen no fans and limited fans. Uh, but then you have a place that has a, a baked in home court advantage like Denver. And if they get some fans back in there, I, I think they could kind of fight their way at least to a, a win and a cover in game one. I'm seeing them hovering around minus one to a pick them in this one. Quickly, we got to get out of here. Hawks, Knicks, Knicks land a single point. Who do you like? Oh, that's, this series is a tough one. This series is such a tough one because I've really liked the Hawks at home, but uh, I think the Knicks make the most of their playoff appearance here. The defense is something that shows up every single night. Um, you know, it's not like shooting that can come and go. Uh, I, like, I like the Knicks to grind one out here. Probably a five or six game win for the Knicks. Jason Logan, Senior Industry Analyst and Managing Editor for Covers.com. Jason, great stuff covering all the playoff games for us. We appreciate it. All right, guys. Enjoy the games. Have a great weekend. I'm still not 100% sure about the play-in format, but I am definitely 100% ready for the postseason. That's going to do it for this episode. Until next time, I'm Michael Jenkins. Thanks for listening.